0: Hey, I'm Roberta Blevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we worked in the stigma of failure in an industry systemically designed for you to fail. Join us as we dive into the real-life stories of survivors, experts, and advocates to debunk the common myths and fallacies of cults, scams, and multi-level marketing. This month, we are teaming up with IGotOut.org, a consortium of cult survivors supporting the I Got Out movement of activism and education to help shine light on the commercial cults more commonly known as multi-level marketing. Throughout the month of November, follow along with us on social media as we share MLM statistics, cult education, survivor stories, and ways that you can join in on the movement. Visit IGotOut.org to share your MLM experience And share your I Got Out selfie using the hashtags I Got Out and I Got Out of an MLM on social media. Freedom of thought is a universal human right. Hey, Hunbots and Hunbros. As we wrap up the month of November and our collaboration with I Got Out, I am so excited to bring you today's episode with one of the founders of I Got Out to talk about sort of what started it all and why she's even involved in the cult space. And just because cult month is ending doesn't mean cult stories are going to end. MLMs are cults. We know that. We've proved it a million times. Those cult stories are going to continue. But I really had a lot of fun diving into other stories. And so there will definitely be more cult history in bonus episodes on Wednesdays going forward. So today's episode is with Jarette of I Got Out, and next Wednesday's episode will be your I Got Out submissions, stories, and comments that you've been leaving all month long. So thank you so much to everybody who sent in their stories, commented on posts, or really just engaged in any of the stuff that we were doing. I really, really appreciate all of the support. Although this episode is a cult episode, there aren't too many trigger warnings other than the normal cult things, right? Psychological manipulation, gaslighting, that sort of stuff. So again, please use caution if that is a sensitive subject. I also want to remind you that December is coming up. And with it comes a month long of holiday magic. This month, we are getting eight days of holiday magic. And I am bringing to you some of not only my most sought after interviews, but the ones that are requested the most by you guys as well. So stay tuned. We have so many great episodes for December planned. We'll also be tackling some deeper subjects in the new year, including financial education and neurodivergency. So stay tuned for those episodes as well. I am so excited and I cannot wait to share with you guys everything that I have been up to and everything that's coming out on the show. So stay tuned. So please stay tuned for all of that. Quickly, I want to thank our new Patreon members, Emily A. and Emily Plain. Thank you so much for your support of the show. I really, really appreciate it. And lastly, if you are listening to this in real time, uh, there is a free MLM Survivor Writing to Reckon class that Jarette will be hosting, who is the subject of this episode. So, after you listen to this and you're like, oh my gosh, I want to do that, it is a free class. You can head to my website, robertablevins.com. There's a pop up and you can sign up there. It is next Sunday, December 4th at 5 p.m. Eastern, and spots are limited. We will do more of these as needed, but Jarette wanted to offer this, and I was very, very excited to be able to do that for you guys anyway other than that please enjoy the show and i will see you on wednesday with some of your cult stories welcome back to another episode of life after mlm all month we have been focusing on cults and cult education and cult stories and we teamed up with the i got out foundation i wasn't sure if you guys really knew a lot about the i got out foundation and so i wanted to invite my guest onto the show to talk about not only her cult experience but the I Got Out Foundation and sort of how that all came to be. So please, please, please welcome to the show, my friend, Jarette Bouillon. Hi, how are you?
1: I am so glad to be here. And I love how you use the word, I Got Out Foundation. It like makes us seem like we're so big and so established. And and the truth is, like, I Got Out is a hashtag, that nobody owns. It's something that everybody gets to use. Anybody who's like had an experience of cultic abuse, be it a commercial cult or whatever, gets to use it to tell their story. So the I Got Out Foundation, it just seems so cool. And the truth is we are cool. Thanks for that introduction, Roberta.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I met you last year, right after Lula Ridge came out. I was talking about commercial cults. And I got put in touch with you through Sarah Edmondson, who's amazing. And we last year teamed up and said, Hey, let's make November commercial cult awareness month and and started just doing some education. And this year was our second year doing it. This year we had even more helpers. And I hope that next year it will just continue to grow. And that every November we'll be able to share even more cult centric stories because i mean every single episode is a cult episode right
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah the patterns we look at those patterns and we see we we see those themes gosh like no matter what isn't it true you absolutely
0: know? and that was one of the things like this month that for me is so important in doing these cult episodes and telling other cult stories is I had so many people reach out and go, oh my gosh, listening to that episode reminded me of this or reminded me of not even an MLM, but of a religious organization I was with or a relationship I was with. And so many people have been like, oh my gosh, yes. So many of these red flags are in all of these things. And I think it's just really important to show them so that we can zig and miss them, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So we don't, we'll zig so we don't get snagged, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So awesome. Jaret, you were in cult. We're not going to name it. We're just going to call it the cult you were in. It was an everyday cult, which is also the name of your book. If anybody wants to read that, I will throw all the information in the show notes as well. But you were in this organization for 18 years. So let's talk about that before we talk about your life after. Give us a little Reader's Digest version of your life in this organization.
1: Sure. You know, just like I think every one of us, I'm guessing most of your listeners here can really identify if not all listeners, identify with the idea of uh, jumping, getting involved in something that just felt good and seemed like the right thing to do. Like I am by nature an idealist, and I'm also really into um, kind of alternative ways of thinking. I got involved in this group that was uh, really started with just individual one-on-one sessions with this guy who worked with dreams through the 18 years that I was working with this guy who I called Doug uh, in my book. um, I call the organization, the center for transformational learning. As you mentioned, Roberta, I'm not public about the group only because, you know, my goal is to focus on the dynamics and the, the realities of cultic involvement and not risk the chance of getting caught up in any kind of legal stuff that could make me vulnerable to something that I just don't want to tango with. Because the truth is, I'm much more interested in the work that we're going to talk about after I tell you about what I got into. I started working with dreams. You know, it started out really helpful. Like I truly gained insight into my, I got a better understanding of who I am as a person there were truly helpful and beautiful aspects of this work. I was part um, of this organization kind of witnessing its growth. It went from just like one class a month that Doug would do in the basement of his house to actually becoming, growing into a larger organization that had even succeeded at achieving um, CEU certification so that people could come and do trainings and actually get continuing education units for if you're a therapist or um, a social worker, you know, so we kind of wow. went whole thing to becoming like a school focused on this guy's eclectic view of dream analysis and we did a lot of retreats so retreats were a big part of it. And retreats took place in, not only in the little uh, kind of rural area in northeast of the United States, they started doing even international retreats. I did one retreat in Europe, some in Canada, different parts of the United States, out west, California, all over the northeast as well. I'm
0: from the northeast. I have a question really quick. So when you say dreams, do you mean like your ideas and like what you want to be in the future? Or do you mean like actual dreams? Yeah, good question.
1: The the dreams you have at night. Oh, wow. Yeah, working with your basically the subconscious realm. And so that really became the foothold. Yes, there's the opportunity for growth. But you know what? It's really easy to manipulate in that terrain. Absolutely, dealing with such vulnerabilities, and Doug was really skilled at cultivating dependence. You know, within the first five years, I'd say. So, as you said, I was eighteen years involved in this shtick. The first five years were kind of cult light, I'd say. (laughs) You know, like was just kind of learning about it. It was helpful, but but what I didn't know is that there were these like seeds of dependence. That were planted very early on and i learned to not trust myself i learned that actually even though i was the one having the dreams at night that i could not trust myself to understand what they were i needed him to understand what was really going on and that it's actually believe it or not roberta it's not safe to to know what your own dreams are about because you'll misinterpret them That was sarcasm, just so everybody is really
0: clear. There's so much room for manipulation in this, right? Because it is not, it's a dream. You are the only person experiencing this. So you have to be incredibly honest in delivering what actually occurred in your dream, if you can even remember it. That also opens up to people making things up and saying, well, this is what this is, and this is what happened, and this is what this means. And again, it's all symbols and metaphors, and it's all open to interpretation.
1: Absolutely. And when you develop dependence on someone who appears to have a really novel approach to working with dreams, that's exciting and dynamic, and you feel like you're on the cutting edge of learning um, things in a whole new way, kind of taking young and bringing him to the next level. Like it's exciting. Absolutely. It's a dynamic, engaging process. And then you also have the experience of social proof because other people are doing it. That's, of course, how I got involved in the first place. Two good friends of mine were working with this guy. I witnessed them have a little light in their eyes, spark up a bit. And I thought, whoa, I want that. But I was pregnant with my first child. At that time. And I said to myself, it's not time for me to start something new. I'm gonna wait till she's at least six months old. And that's what I did. So in the waiting, I was building anticipation, and I was also in that vulnerable place of being a new mom. Absolutely. I had been a teacher for years before I gave birth to my first child. I thought I knew everything you needed to know about kids, but well, it turns out that there were a few things I didn't know. How to... So,
0: what year was this?
1: Uh, let's see. So, my daughter was born in 95. So,
0: okay. So, 1995, I mean, there was a whole like new age spiritualism revival in the 90s. So this yeah. makes complete and total sense. I remember buying dream journals in the 90s, um, going to Barnes and Noble and like going to the spirituality section and being like, oh my gosh, look at all this cool stuff they have. So absolutely all of this checks out. It was the same time. Yeah, wow. Yeah, it's kind of the it was the new West.
1: You know, we were cowboys. This whole pushing the new frontier. And it was all in this psychological realm. And it was so exciting. Like it was really, really cool. I could
0: imagine. Like you're wielding this power. You're like, I know what your dreams mean. Like I, it's just this really, I I could understand like learning that and wielding that power and being like, oh yeah, I'm so cool.
1: And the dark underbelly of it is that the, the level of dependence and control that was just being stitched in to every single interaction. Some and, and I think it is important to be clear that, yes, in I think any cultic group, there's always something good. There's something that kind of gets you there. And And I would say in what I call an everyday cult, which is a group that has is more amorphous there's not such clear like we didn't wear certain clothes we didn't have certain pendants that we wore around our neck we integrated into society we all had our own jobs and careers and we were you know a group of educated uh, well-meaning people who came together with this concept what we didn't realize is that many of us, not all of us, but many of us were also pouring our life savings. And so much of our time, our time and our money, was being dumped into this organization. So that, like earlier I mentioned that the organization grew from this, like, just a class down in his basement to, like, you know, like a school with a big retreat center and all of that. That happened because of volunteer labor. So we were so dedicated to this experiment, to this beautiful mission. We would spend hours and hours in meetings. We would go to different events that basically were love-bombing recruitment events. And, you know, it's funny because I always hated those events. But I was taught to believe that my discomfort for those events was actually my, what we called pathology. And my pathology is what I had to overcome in order to really be the true woman of God I was meant to be. So that was the kind of closed loop thinking that was woven into this narrative.
0: I mean, that's literally just teaching you to ignore your gut feeling, ignore the red flags and trudge on. Yes,
1: trudge on on behalf of this teacher pouring money into his pocket, making sure that he could wear those, you know, fancy Armani suits and all of that stuff and get that big beautiful retreat center on the mountain, um, feeling like, oh, one day I'm gonna be there too. because there was the school that was teaching us to how to do how to become our own doug you know, to kind of be in his uh, semblance. And that, of course, also cost more money. So in addition to having to do a certain number of retreats every year, we also had to do a certain number of classes. We had to have supervision on any clients that we might be entrusted uh, to work with. Uh, They actually managed anybody who came like my husband was also involved in this group, which I think is a significant part. So my husband and I were part of this together for um, we were in it together for 16 years while we were raising our children. You know, we had I ran a business business. And of course, the people I hired for the business were connected to, Doug Doug encouraged me to hire people from the group. That was a huge mistake. I I took on an enormous amount of debt to buy another business. Um, I I had, this was, I had a cleaning company. Um, So I made this massive commitment because me teaming up with this other person in the group was going to bring me to the next level and I, then I would, you know, finally achieve the kind of enlightenment and spiritual support that was promised to me.
0: And with that comes spring cleaning, especially those closets. I am beyond guilty of keeping pieces around that I no longer wear, I'm hoping to fit into again, or I just can't seem to get rid of for whatever reason my brain uses to justify the hanger space. But this year, I am implementing the one-year rule and spring cleaning my wardrobe with the help of Quince. As a sponsor of Life After MLM, shopping with Quince is a great way to support the show and get some cute new items to treat yourself once the purge is over, too. Once you put your seasonal and holiday items in the back of the closet, it's time to purge what's left and see what can be donated and what needs to be retired for good. It's only then that you can organize your keepers and see where you can amp up your style for the coming year. And that's where Quince comes in. By partnering directly with top factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing, Quince cuts the cost out of the middleman and passes the savings on to us at 50 to 80% less than similar brands which means you can stretch your dollar and save on great staple pieces that will last through at least a few spring cleanings. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com MLM for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot MLM to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com MLM. Absolutely. And while you're talking about this and these courses and like going through, like I'm getting Nexium vibes, I'm getting Scientology vibes, I'm getting school vibes. We just had an episode with Spencer. It's just, it's the same. It's this betterment, like, and then even you mentioning the volunteer work to build the center to, to donate the money to get to the center, like, that's so common as well. This, you know, volunteer labor quote, that is It's not really volunteer. It's coerced slave labor, essentially. It is. It is. And that's
1: part of what is a really interesting dynamic that in the I got out.org and the organization that we're developing, we are all, all of us who are part of I got out.org are cult survivors. So we've all experienced, have direct experience with power over abuse in one way or another, all everybody is completely different in their experiences. Everything from religious trauma to MLMs to the Moonies, you know, there's a whole kind of mix. But to create an organization that does not rely on volunteerism. And the irony, of course, is that both Lisa and I, so Lisa is the other co-founder of IGotOut.org. So the two of us have worked Literally like every day for the last two years, we have done volunteer labor. It's our passion and it is very much integrated into my work today. Uh, Just for context, I got out eight and a half years ago from the group I was in. Today, my work is in cult recovery and education And, uh, and it's beautiful work. It's work that fuels me every day i work with writers it's gorgeous and my my volunteer work with i got totally nourishes me and there's a point that it's gonna start to not be okay and it's really interesting because Lisa and I are like, we're realizing we're kind of in this process right now, but what we're committed to doing is to create an organization where we are not repeating the things, the abuses that occurred within the organizations that each one of us, that all of us got out of. So in IGotOut.org, we created guiding principles. We worked for months, a small group of us on these guiding principles. You know, they're really all about supporting autonomy. Everyone who's a part of IGotOut.org gets to do their work in their own lane, in their own way. And that's a gorgeous thing. Never do we want to tread on anybody's toes in that way. And we get to bring our passions, bring our unique gifts. And we are all friggin' equals.
0: Absolutely.
1: even the people who have tons of experience and the newbies—we all have something of value to bring to the table. So we actually created guiding principles around how do we work with that. So I'm like on this friggin' mission, Roberta. To now, I sound like a friggin' cult leader, don't I?
0: <laughs> Forgiven. But I
1: think it's possible. I really think it's possible to create businesses, to create an entity that is truly respectful of human beings on every level. You know, we get to shine in our strengths and we get to be vulnerable where we are vulnerable, where our weaknesses exist.
0: It's so important that you say that we're all equals. I think it's something that maybe we don't think about is that hierarchical structure is like, it's everywhere, right? And it's especially in MLM. It's especially in schemes and cults. And so not having that, really taking that away and saying we're all equals, whether you've been in here for years and years and years, whether you're very famous and everybody knows who you are, whether you're new and you just want to help, you want to contribute, we're all equals. And I think that's so important. And I think that's what drew me to you guys just so deeply Mm -hmm. is that is something that I really believe in as well, that there is room for every single person that has a voice and that every voice is valid, regardless of where you are in your journey. There are people that listen to the show that are in MLMs. I get their emails. They say, I really want to get out, but I can't yet. I'm working my way out. Yeah. What you said about autonomy, that everyone can be who they are, regardless of where they are in their life. And it's okay. We're working towards being better than who we were yesterday. And that's really all we need to do. Right. And that it is
1: a process. I mean, that example of people saying, Yes, I'm involved right now. This, I see it and I want to get out. You know, more power to you. Like that, that's beautiful. You get to see, there's no shame. What we have experienced. And I think the biggest gesture of hashtag I got out is that we get to destigmatize that involvement, because the truth is, and I know you know this so well, Roberta, every one of us, like we humans are wired for belonging. We're wired to make meaning. We we need, we're, we're meaning seeking people. And if we're in an environment where there's a closed narrative that starts to make sense for us, we're gonna keep ourselves in that narrative because it gives us a sense of balance it gives us a sense of like okay i can i'm regulated today i can move forward and and we have to stay in that silo until that fracture the light you know i often talk about the crack the crack that lets in the light and we start to see that what we were involved in is not what we had signed up for and when we experience that crack like people who are still in MLMs and are trying to get out, that's an incredibly important place to take care of oneself. Really um, lean into your autonomy, you know, lean into your instinct. And yes, I experienced my instinct being completely the opposite when I was in, when I was indoctrinated and I was fully indoctrinated. And my instincts were the opposite of what I now see as instinct. When it gets that bad, that's intense. It's an upside down world. And yet that does get to correct itself through the kind of work that you're doing, Roberta, in just bringing these stories forward. I mean, and I really believe like what I Got Out is all about is just encouraging people to tell their story. Absolutely. And the stories, the stories do the work. They do. They absolutely do the work. They just do the work. They teach us. They open our hearts. They educate us. Yeah. You know, they, human, they humanize us.
0: So, Jarette, what was your crack? Hmm. My crack?
1: Whew! That, at the height of my involvement, so literally, at, here's the thing. For me, it was 18 years, four months, and 28 days that I was in, and... There was a crisis in the organization where six of the top leaders in the organization left on the very same day. Wow. And it was like, well, I mean, earthquake material. This is like, you know, the, the emails were coming in What? because everything was done through email. Not everything, but a huge amount. The emails were coming in and my the earth, the ground I was standing in like, opened up and started heaving. And I was like, whoa, what is going on here? I was, at that point, I had been involved in what what we called executive committee, which was supposedly the decision-making body of the organization. What I couldn't see then is that there were literally four hierarchies, four tiers above executive committee, but we had one last executive committee meeting the next day. So I'm in the room with those six head leaders, who had all told us the day before that they left, along with the other people, there's like 20 of us in the room. I had one question in my mind going into that meeting, which was, why are you all leaving on the same day? Because everybody's email, nobody spoke to that. Like, why is this happening on the same day? What are you not telling me? And that was the only thing I could, I was listening for. And it was the only thing that I kept like, why is nobody answering this question until, get this, Roberta, literally five minutes before the end of the meeting, and we always ended on time, one of the teachers, kind of the quietest and the, the one who's like an artist and kind of a deep, sensitive type, described how Doug, our leader, beloved leader, who was not in that executive committee meeting, the only one he didn't show up for. So this colleague described how Doug would call her and berate her hour after hour, time after time. And she's someone who had experienced a lot of abuse in her childhood and in her adulthood. When she described what Doug did to her, I knew unequivocally that she was telling the truth. And that that pedestal that I had put Doug on collapsed. And I walked out of that meeting, without like saying another thing. And I drove home. By the time I got home, I like stood in my driveway, knowing my husband was inside, who had left two years before me. And he was asleep, the kids were asleep. I went in and woke him up and said, honey, we need to talk. And he, you know, within a short time, he started crying and said, you know, I've been waiting for this.
0: Yeah, he's my guy. He's a really, really good guy. It, it, It is interesting, right? Like that, just that one little piece of information, like you just, you saw and experienced someone's story and you were like, yeah, no, I'm done.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Her being harmed was like, that's not okay. No one does that to such a beautiful human being. I will not. It was like my conscience, my conscience woke up. And then I, of course, started to see how others had been harmed, how my husband had been harmed, how I had been harmed, how other beloved people had also been harmed. But that was the crack.
0: Wow. So it wasn't until six and a half years later that you decided to start I Got Out?
1: Well, it wasn't like deciding. It just was like this synchronicity of worlds coming together. You know, Lisa, who is like now my best friend who I connect with every day and work with on a daily basis, she just came into my life October 20th, 2020. And that was through Dr. Steve Hassan and uh, my good friend, Mark Laxer, who was, I called him my cult buddy. And We ended up on a panel discussion where Dr. Hassan was presenting and I kind of put in the chat, you know, let's, um, I would love on the Zoom, on this panel discussion, I put on the chat, I think we need like a Me Too style movement for cult survivors. And Dr. Hassan like jumped off his chair, like, yes, yes. And I didn't know him at that point. I had met him once at ICSA conferences, the International Cultic Studies Association Conference. But Mark knew him. We got together and uh, started meeting on on Zoom and his assistant, you know, tossed out a few different options for different hashtags. I had ridiculous ideas like hashtag hoodwinked, hashtag I see too, I don't know, I had stupid ideas. But Steve's assistant put in an email chain. How about hashtag I got out? And that was like Zoom, like electricity going through the email chain. We all said, yes, we're going to do it. Steve tweeted it that same day, like within minutes of deciding on it. And Lisa, on the other side of the country, saw that tweet. And within a couple hours, she ended up in the, the Zoom meeting that we were having. And to talk about creating this hashtag movement.
0: That is so incredible. So at what point in your cult journey did you decide to write everything down and um, write a book? You know, it took me
1: a few years. Um, I'd say probably two or three years after I got out. My first year was a little kind of wonky, like kind of Trying to find my way in the world. And and by the end of the first year, I had found a really good therapist who was well versed in spiritual abuse. And she was a perfect fit for me. And I am incredibly grateful to her. So I worked with her for four years. So there was a lot of untangling that took place through that, through my therapy work. And she definitely encouraged me to, you know, to journal. We did a lot of, you know, kind of writing stuff. But it was really meeting up with a woman who is my book coach and now a very dear friend who heard my story. We went out for tea one day. We were part of a business networking group. This was a women's business owners networking organization, which is actually not a culty organization. It's pretty cool. So she and I went out for tea one afternoon and she heard my story. And of course, you know, her work is in supporting people to write. But she was like, Jarette, you have to write your story. This is also occurring during the rise of the Trump presidency. So seeing the way power over dynamics were being played out on the national stage, was kind of additional fuel for me to kind of to get my story out into the world. And it definitely motivated me. And at first I started writing more of a, a nonfiction self-help kind of book. And it's like, Ick, that's the kind of thing that, you know, that's feels too culty. So I had to like <laughs> stop that track and then focus on my story. And I I honestly, I didn't know how I would feel about having my story out in the world. And I have to say, Roberta, I am totally cool with it. Like it has blown me away. Like, you know, people who have said, oh my God, your story helped me so much and give me like really specific ways that they felt heard and acknowledged. I'm like, if this helps just a handful of people, it is totally worth it to have it out there. So I feel really, really fortunate. To have had the support and the, and really privileged to have the kind of the life support. Cause I didn't work a whole lot in my first few years after getting out, cause I had just so much healing to do. It was intense, very intense.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important, actually. Let's talk about that. Getting out of a cult, I've seen it happen a couple of times where people wanna speak out, they wanna be a part of the movement, and they're not really ready yet. And um, sometimes we see relapses or burnout, things like that. You mentioned a therapist. Let's talk about maybe those first couple of years getting out. Not everybody's story is going to look like you get out of the cult and you hit the ground running. Sometimes it takes years. I didn't even like, I think it was like three years before I was really like publicly showing my face and speaking out. I know it seems like, oh, I just showed up, but I have many years of me just being like this faceless I'm sharing memes and things for a long time, and, and working through all of that on social media as well. Let's talk about those first couple of years, and and maybe some advice if someone is looking to get a therapist, what they can look for, maybe some keywords, things like that, to find the right person for them. Uh, spiritual abuse or cultic abuse.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, I love that question. For me, I was looking for someone who knew about spiritual abuse. That was one of my key phrases when I started searching and I, you know, I ended up finding Teresa through Psychology Today, which is a fantastic resource. The other thing that was really important to me was the work of Dr. Dan Siegel. And Dr. Siegel is a a psychologist with a focus on neuroscience and he had done, has done a ton of work around integrating trauma so his his work is based in you know attachment work and lots of lots of really good good therapy but he had a particular focus on what he called creating a coherent narrative and that idea that when one has experienced trauma one of the ways that you get to help yourself through the trauma is by writing or telling or speaking or some way or expressing your story in one way or another and creating, finding coherence in your story. A friend of mine within a couple months of getting out, she handed me Dr. Dan Siegel's work um, in the form of some CDs (laughs) that I listened to. But that was huge for me. So I was looking for someone who knew about Dr. Siegel and his work, and that was hugely helpful. And that ended up being, as you know, a a significant part of the work that I'm doing today around supporting people to write. In addition to finding a good therapist, I think it's really important to take care of your body, really focus on the basics make sure you're eating well, make sure you actually get exercise, movement of any kind. If you're into dance, dance. If you're into hiking, hike. You're into jogging, you know, or running on a treadmill, whatever it is. Um, Or even if you live in an apartment, don't take the elevator. You know, if you can take the steps, that process of getting your body movement helps you to integrate those complicated, like, when we've experienced this kind of abuse, our neurons and our nervous system has been scrambled. So movement helps us, helps to write that ship, so to speak. So movement and one of my personal um, needs has been to be out in nature, you know, making sure that I had time in nature on a regular basis and staying away from other people's strong ideas yeah. You know, don't yeah. go to another church. Don't seek out another wise person. You've got to access your wise person inside of you and let that guide you to this resources that are going to help you the most.
0: Yeah. Like learn to trust your instincts again. Yes, exactly. So for anybody that's listening and is like, you know what? I'm I'm working through this. I think I want to tell my story. I think I want to write this down. Maybe write a book, start a blog, start a podcast, come on my podcast. I don't know, whatever you guys want to do. Like, Jarette, you're the writer. You, you have these workshops. Tell us how, how we can do that.
1: You know, writing is such a wonderfully integrative practice. Whether you're writing on your scraps of paper, or on your tablet, or, you know, take a little recorder with you when you're taking a walk, and just speak into it. Telling your story one way or another is so, so helpful. And the writing process, I mean, my classes that I offer are called Writing to Reckon. And they're specifically for people who have experienced, you know, some form of cultic, or culty, or power over abuse in one way or another having an opportunity to write while you're in a small intimate class can be super helpful it can just give a little bit of extra support and you know that the people who are who you're with have gone through something related and there's no judgment you know it's a really kind of small safe space uh, whether it's a one time thing or an ongoing thing. There's no, you do whatever works for you. There's no no requirements. <laughs> Not like, you know, you've got to do six, you know, classes within a six-month period or blah, blah, blah. There's none of that. It's totally what works for you. You know, I just think that writing is just the best integrative tool. And yet I'm biased because a dancer is going to think that expressing one story through dance is the most integrative tool. You know, there's so many ways of doing it. Just tap into your creativity. We are all creative people. Every damn one of us.
0: I agree. And I think everybody has a story to tell. Even if you don't think your story is, quote, big enough, it's going to help somebody. It really, really, really will. The impact of that little pebble dropping in the pond and that ripple effect is So exponential and massive, you have no idea. So, if you're on the fence and you're like, I think I want to tell my story, if you're ready, I vote go for it.
1: Great point. And there's something else that is really, I I love the pebble image because it's true. You don't know how your story is going to impact others. But what is super important to close with here, uh, Roberta, is that you can work on your own story, like writing your story. Um, is really different than sharing your story. And they're two very different worlds. Writing your story is for you. And you get to decide the when and if and how you're going to share it. That's a whole nother important step. And for some people, they know they're ready. Okay, I'm ready to write my hashtag I got out statement. Here I come. Here it is. And it is friggin' gorgeous, you know, and we pair it up with, Some beautiful images, and it's up on the website, and we share it on social media. And that is just gorgeous. Some other people, it takes a while. And in fact, I just, uh, there was someone that I met, and I, that I kind of met through Hashtag I Got Out, I think it was about a year and a half ago, this person signed up for um, uh, Hashtag I Got Out writing to Wrecking Class, then let me know that she couldn't attend it she was not ready. We had a couple email exchanges. No problem. You know, just signing up for class is a big deal. A year and a half later, this person is coming into a class like next week. And it's just taken that time. It takes the time that it takes.
0: Absolutely. It takes the time that it takes. No pressure. Yeah, no pressure. and, And don't compare yourself to other people because we don't know their story. We don't know what they've gone through and what work they've done prior to stepping up and telling their story. Uh, Everybody's story is valid and, and in its own way, beautiful. And if you want to write it down and you're not ready to share it, that's great too. Maybe you just want to share it with your best friend. Maybe you just want to share it with like, maybe one of your former MLMers that you were like, can I share my story with you? You don't have to just, just, Writing it down doesn't mean you have to share it. It just, it helps to get it out, to read it back, to be like, I did that. I survived that. I can do this. It's going to be okay.
1: Right. And it brings coherence. It helps build resilience. Just that process for your own self. You are worth it just to take that time for yourself to express your story.
0: I love that. Um, at the end of these, I do these little five questions. Do you uh, uh, You think I, you're ready? Uh, yeah, go for it. <laughs> what is one word that encompasses how you feel about cults? So what I'm going to uh, say, it's not one word. It's like
1: this feeling in my brain that is actually like really expansive and it has a container. Isn't that weird? God. Yeah. But that's just what happened when you asked that question. Uh, Hey, Uh,
0: it it works.
1: Expansive and contained. I don't know. Weird. Okay. Don't don't analyze it, anybody.
0: (laughs) What is a warning that you would give to somebody who's maybe on the fence and thinking about joining a cultic group?
1: Follow the money and follow the time. Ask yourself what your time is worth.
0: And how much of it are you willing to give? Yeah, wow. follow the money. Uh, yeah. Jarette, in your experience of learning about cults, what is the worst cult that you have come across? The um
1: there's a way that that the complexities of the children of God has manifested in so many of the survivors. There's an intensity there that is unique. And at the same time, I also really experience and have witnessed again and again that no matter what it is that we experience in these controlling occultic groups, it's what happens, you know, to our brains and to our hearts and to our, um, our you know, our minds and our and our bodies. I think it's important not to compare. And the children of God is. Really friggin'
0: intense. Uh, what is the hardest lesson that you learned while you were in your high demand group? Hmm. This
1: part, I think, really has to do with the impact of my choices on my children. Wow, and mm-hmm. and I use the word choices to include the parts of my experience that were lack of choice because of the erosion of my autonomy that that I experienced, you know, because of this slow indoctrination process. I mean, I, I am grateful to be able to incredibly grateful to be able to say that, you know, both of my kids today are two stellar young adults that are making their own gorgeous choices in the world and moving forward. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. And yet it's it's a lot. It's a pretty intense impact.
0: Yeah, and then I like to end on a positive note. So, give me a positive experience or takeaway from your time in your high demand group.
1: It's a funny thing. Even, even though I was abused, even though my dreams were manipulated, like against me, they were used against me. It's a funny thing today that in the rare time, and I I hardly ever remember my dreams now. But when I do, I find them really curious and interesting. And I love exploring them. So there is something about that experience. And obviously, I explore them very differently, because I explore them in on my own terms. um, But I do like I'll share them with somebody if I'm kind of confused by it, kind of play with it, write about it, you know, like uh, there is a kind of, for a while that was taken away for a while. They, my dreams were like, I just felt like, no, I am. They're not safe for me to play with anymore, but they are, they are. And I'm grateful for that. I think that's really cool.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for spending your time with me and talking about this uh, for anybody listening who is like, this was amazing. I want to follow along. I want to take one of those writing courses. I want to get more information about it. I got out let us know where we can find you.
1: Ah, Well, igotout.org is the the website. And you could also just um, search the hashtag, I got out, see where that leads you. For me personally, my website is jarettebullion.com. And all my work is on my website, the writing to reckon classes and all of that is there.
0: Absolutely amazing. Thank
1: you so much. Oh, this was so great. I'm so grateful. It's such a joy, such a joy to connect with you, Roberta. Thank you. Thank you for the incredible
0: work that you are doing for all of us. And thank you for the incredible work that you and Lisa are doing. And if you want to catch the interview with Lisa, Danielle from, from Hunts to Humans, Did an interview and I will also link that in the show notes. Thank you so much for partnering with us again this year in November. And I cannot wait. We will start earlier next year (laughs) for November for Cult Month. And if anybody is interested in getting in on it and wanting to be a part of this, hit either of us up. We're easy to find and write your I Got Out story, share your I Got Out, use the hashtag I Got Out and I Got Out of an MLM. And uh, if you're ready, like we said, we would love to hear those stories. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Roberta. What a treat.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And follow us on social media at Life After MLM Podcast and my advocacy at The Real Roberta Blevins. You can find all of the links to the social accounts in our show notes. And if you just listened to that incredible story and you thought, oh my God, I have a story just like that that needs to be told. Hit me up, the real Blevins at gmail.com. I would love to have you on the show to share your story and start your journey in life after MLM. See you next time, Hans.